Today, Jason and I go through the steps required to analyze your market when you're determining which segment of that market you wish to specifically address. You'll find out more about my journey towards my own niche, how susceptible the competition is to the innovator's dilemma. You'd be very surprised, actually. And what happens to the companies that are not able to keep up with innovation. This is Digital Bacon FM. It's 10 o'clock, joined on the line by our good friend, marketing guru, all-round good guy and maker of monopolies, Stephen Barnes. Good morning, sir. Pregnant pause as I climb out from under the bed, given the typhoon <laughs> that has just been upon us. At your age, there's nothing pregnant happening with you, sir. What's happening? <laughs> Especially under the bed. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I'm, uh, not that you're I'm not right. fit. How did we get onto this conversation? Typhoons. That <laughs> Typhoons. Was it. Yeah. So we're talking about monopolies. Yes, we are. Thank you for the slide. Uh, for the benefit of those listening who can't read my email stream, and thank goodness they can't for a lot of the stuff that I get, we are talking about niching down. That's a that's a very buzzwordy way of putting it, Barnes. Niching down. Well, well, again, let's just sort of you know put it into context. Uh, this is about the program uh, that we've developed called How to Build a Monopoly from Nothing with No Money Invested, the Monopoly Planner that comes in ten modules. 36 chapters and chapter five of the 36 is on niching down. Yeah. Um, and, and basically this is all about the determination that you make to build a connection economy business model where you're going to go after a particular niche that uh, is presently um, not being serviced by your competition in, mm. in a connection economy fashion that gives you the opportunity, as we discussed last week, to compete against non-consumption. Yeah. So, and, and niching down, I mean, you've 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 kind of got to look at your um, look at your your space. You've got to look at what your competition are all about. You've got to try and identify something that you can uniquely claim for your own, and then develop a, a content proposition around that will answer questions and help solve solve problems in that regard. So, when you're looking at, at the landscape to determine how you're going to niche down, um, you've got to look principally at what your competitors are selling. Recognizing, of course, that, you know, in a connection economy modus, you're going to be looking at selling different stuff like we sell peace of mind and we sell the ability to blame us if something goes wrong. Sure. Um, have a close look at what your competition are selling um, and then uh, how do you go about selling it, which you can buy, bet your bottom dollar uh, is going to be uh, the industrial economy way of doing it. They may have. Um, carved a particular uh, niche for themselves and being able to deliver uh, a particular service that uh, is, is wrapped around the industrial economy way of doing it. Mm. Um, but uh, you may, you'll probably find that uh, there's lots of new and interesting ways that you will be able to parlay your own niche down proposition that makes it very, very different from how um, your competition are presently sort of skirting or perhaps just dipping their toe into that market, if at all. It might just be consumed by their mainstream offering. But uh, certainly have a look at what your competition is selling and then understand how they go about selling it. Now, on, on, um, on, on that, mm -hmm. on, on how they sell it, now, you know, Around the world, as things become a little bit more dodgy with the way people use the internet and all of the scams that are out there, I appreciate that you have a lot of content and a lot of goodwill online with testimonials. 
How do you still convince people that when they make a transaction with you, you are legitimate and their money is safe? Um, well, there's a, a million ways to do it. Social proof, as you uh, have just alluded to. Uh, the quality and the extent of your content proposition will speak volumes as to your credibility and your trustworthiness. Mm. Um, and then, obviously, if you're going to be uh, asking people to part with their hard-earned cash uh, online via the web, if you do it via PayPal, there are consumer protection dynamics that are incumbent to the way that PayPal uh, do their transactions. So um, okay. there, there are ways that you can uh, sort of address the genuine concerns that people have about being ripped off um, if they are parting with their money via the web. PayPal is an obvious good solution to that problem, I found. Okay, it takes good. a while if, you're, if, if you have a PayPal account as a merchant. It takes a while to build up um, um, sort of an algorithmic profile, uh, an account sort of use dynamic that um, PayPal can measure and assess and determine if there's any real risk to customers if they transact with you. And as it's been in our case, now we've been transacting and clearing credit cards via PayPal uh, for about seven years altogether. Mm. Um, and lo most of our um, transactions via PayPal and credit card are high value transactions because most of what we do tends to be sort of high value. And when I say high value, it's north of 1,500, 2,000 US dollars for each, each transaction. So with PayPal in the early years, um, you know, they would they tell us that they had received the uh, payment from a customer, but asked us not to deliver service for two or three days until we got until they got back to us and confirmed that uh, everything was good to go. Mm. Uh, and basically, that was kind of really to protect us, but implied in all of that was protection for the consumer as well. Sure. Um, recognizing that if PayPal weren't happy with the transaction, uh, then it, it wasn't going to happen. Mm. Um, but yeah, PayPal building up uh, an assessment of who you are as a, as a merchant uh, over time becomes really very valuable. And now because we've been um, transacting with PayPal for as long as we have, many, many large volume transactions, we probably do three or four PayPal transactions every day, all told these days. Um, and uh, we haven't had any complaints against us from PayPal, so they factor that into the mix. So, yeah, building up trust and credibility via the web, as you point out, uh, is, is an integrally important part to the whole process. And uh, okay. uh, the quality of your content proposition and the way that PayPal sort of credit you uh, is, uh, is another way to sort of get on with that. Okay. Right. And then... Yeah. So, okay. okay. Yeah. So, so if I may, yeah, just, just kind of carrying on through. So have a look at what your competition is selling and how they go about selling it uh, and, and really dovetail that into the material we discovered, so we covered uh, in previous shows, um, uh, all about uh, uh, analyzing the marketplace and assessing essentially what it is that you're going to be um, doing in your new connection economy business model. And then once you've sort of got your head around everything, ask yourself, what single change in your competition business, comp competitors' business model, can you bring about that they've got no means to respond to? That's your, your driving sort of force. What is it that you can do that will basically change the way that they um, experience the marketplace, that is your competition experience the marketplace, mm -hmm. that unless they, in a sense, mimic you um, and, get, and catch on to what you're all about, 
quickly enough to be able to beat you at your own game? What can you do that will represent a fundamental shift in the way that uh, that the marketplace operates? Um, and what we discovered, obviously, was that you can't compete against free. Mm. Uh, in our space, traditionally, um, having access to high-quality Hong Kong immigration information that helped answer questions and solve problems uh, was was almost impossible to find. Um, so by developing a high-quality content proposition that speaks to you know those two particular dynamics, you then, in a sense, liberate the marketplace from the tyranny of a vacuum of information. Because in my niche, what has been happening historically is that it was all about knowledge and know-how, and uh, that knowledge and know-how was particularly scarce. And if you didn't have access to it, uh, uh, you would probably struggle to get the outcome that you were looking for. So immigration consultants in operating in the industrial economy motif were traditionally, you know, hanging on to their, their secret IP uh, with a message, look, if you don't pay us your hard-earned money to help you solve this problem or get this question answered, you may not um, find yourself in a position that you really want to be in. So, you know, cough up, guys, and, uh, and I'll make your problem go away. That phenomenon was really all about selling fear uh, of mm. course we don't sell fear we sell peace of mind which is quite the opposite so by introducing the idea that you can have all your questions answered for free uh, and all your problems essentially addressed for free via a content proposition and the way that you know my business sort of conducts itself in developing relationships with customers um, you can uh, put something into the marketplace that our competitors, as we've discovered after seven years, simply haven't been able to respond to because um, when I first started uh, building the content platform, I figured, well, how, how long have I got before um, my very well-resourced competitors cotton on to what I'm doing uh, and, uh, and basically come in and, and, and do the same thing? So um, much to my uh, great surprise and joy and delight, some seven years later, um, we've kind of now moved into the whole area of uh, immigration information being free. Um, it's a, 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 a dynamic of abundance rather than scarcity, as it is under the industrial economy business model. And by, by giving away information for free in the way that we have, um, we've kind of, you know, basically changed, uh, put a change in our competitors' business that, uh, as we're seeing after seven years, they haven't had the ability to respond to. Mm. Now, if you had to go back, uh, to the beginning and you I mean you obviously know the market very very well having uh, worked with your two biggest competitors both being global companies would did you assess what the what the market value of the um, of the piece of the pie that you were going with initially and did you say if we can get that 15% of the total I'd be happy with that or was that always just the first step to the big slice of the pie well, okay, so um, um, for, <laughs> I'm going to say fortunately or unfortunately, seven years ago, the dynamic that drove us, drove, drove my business partner Martin and I on was less the sort of the highfalutin, hey, let's sort of carve the market up into 8, 15, 15% and 85%. It was really all about how the hell can we generate enough revenue this week uh, to be able to, you know, keep our heads above water next week? So strategically, when we were developing our content, it was really just a case of how can we procure revenue, 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 revenue. Um, and it was only after we'd probably about a year and a half into it um, that we were able to 
pause and take a breath and say, right, okay, we de we've definitely developed content for the ind individual immigration services space. We've consolidated ourselves in that respect now. So given that the big gorilla is the corporate immigration space, which is 85% of the market by value, again, you know, what is it that we need to do in order to um, essentially, you know, bring a change about in uh, the corporate immigration services marketplace that our competitors will not have the means to respond to. And that's where um, applying these ideas, we were able to come up with the notion of Hong Kong Visa Sherpa, uh, which is the corporate immigration offering that we're just releasing at this moment in time. Mm. So, so yeah, strategically right from the get-go, we knew that we were going to publish to the individual immigration services space because there we knew we were going to be competing against non-consumption. We had it in our mind that at some stage in the future, we would necessarily have to turn our attention to the corporate immigration services space, A, because that's where the real revenues are, and B, that gives me and Martin a, a, an obvious sort of day-to-day -day exit uh, prospect going forward because that type of work doesn't require um, sort of my day-to-day -day intellectual input uh, or Martin's day-to-day -day intellectual input because it's very much cookie-cutter type stuff which can be handled by my team of colleagues. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, we were able to um, so sort of, you know, after about a year and a half of of generating revenues and having built up the content platform in the individual immigration services space, Paul's take a breath and say, okay, we're all right. We're not going bankrupt. Everything's fine. We're back in the market now. Revenues are growing. Team's starting to grow a pair of legs. We're able to you know, do things like get me moved back to Hong Kong full time from Australia because we could now afford for me to be able to do that. Uh, and at the same time, then begin to map, uh, map out and plot um, exactly what you know our next move into the corporate immigration services space would look like. Uh, and having said that, a year and a half in, it actually took us another two and a half years, really, to get to the point where we could start to develop that proposition in a tangible sense because we were still growing in the intervening period and still getting consolidation in the individual immigration service space and building our revenues and getting the resources that we need to turn our attention to cutting or breaking ground on the corporate immigration offering. But a year and a half into it, we started to address our minds to what that was going to look like, identified essentially that we were going to be selling the ability to blame us if something goes wrong and then and then charted out and mapped through and then worked up a content proposition and a service proposition and a product proposition that was going to be uh, aligned with the dynamics of the uh, of the connection economy marketplace for um, immigration services that made it very different from the way that you know the incumbents the big players our competition uh, were, were 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 traditionally selling those services so so yeah I'd like to be able to say we were strategic from from day one we were strategic daily after day one. Mm. Um, but but we didn't we didn't have a, a clear roadmap to all of this stuff. It was well really only intelligent content marketing as an idea only sort of started to result from well I would say the time that I did the power of free discussions the talks over at Paperclip which were all documented on the Encyclopedia of Intelligent Content Marketing and that was in 2015. So mm -hmm. that was four years into it I would say before we'd really got a handle on, on, on what this thing that we now call intelligent content marketing actually was uh, and. Um, yeah, and, and uh, as I say, we didn't start off with a roadmap. We, we just started off with, with ideas that we felt would be uh, successful because we'd been successful with 
giving out our content for free between 1996 and 2000. But after that, really from 2011 onwards, it was a case of sucking and seeing and learning as we went along. Okay, so if if hindsight is 2020 vision and you've now established intelligent content.marketing and you've created a roadmap of being able to develop a monopoly from a desperate need to survive, if you could go back, would you use the same roadmap now that you're using and also putting onto your intelligent content.marketing platform, or would you change something slightly? No, no I, I, what I would do is, is, is adopt exactly the same approach that we you know we have been able to sort of learn and glean over the last seven years and then apply it into you know the, the dynamic that's, um, that we're moving into. Like for example, Sherpa. Um, the corporate immigration offering, um, that's got, uh, in a sense, a sort of a quality and a life unto itself. Uh, and if you look at the Sherpa proposition, it's, it's, it's got intelligent content marketing at its DNA. Uh, and, and, and everything that we've learned over the last seven years is now being applied into Sherpa. And, and as we roll Sherpa out and we use ClickFunnels, for example, to do direct response marketing, going through the, um, uh, the Food Link Initiative, which is our social enterprise that we support, where we're uh, going to be essentially asking the kind of people, the HR decision makers that need to know about Sherpa, basically reaching into them via LinkedIn and other modalities, where we ask them to watch a 15-second video that will, if they watch it, will alert them to the idea of of uh, Hong Kong Visa Sherpa, which is not trying to sell them anything, which is basically to give them stuff for free, but having invested 15 seconds of their time in and being alerted to the existence of Hong Kong Visa Sherpa in that fashion, you know, we'll make a donation to to Foodlink that will will amount to either a, a backpack for kids or will amount to a feeding per person for 30 days. Mm. Um, so, so you know, these are all intelligent content marketing ideas, uh, and these are. Um, you know, so lessons that we've learned down the years. And as you can see, we're kind of applying them into Sherpa uh, and the, indeed applying all of these ideas into the marketing of Monopoly Planner itself. So, so no, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't start any other way, but um, you know, the way that we have gleaned for ourselves from lessons learned over the last seven years, um, the key thing, the key thing to sort of appreciate is that um, intelligent content marketing as such isn't a, isn't a prescription for an outcome for a business it's a collection of ideas it's a festival of ideas that are sort of all broken down into sort of you know bite-sized chunks of learning that i've gleaned over the years and then applied into into the hong kong visa center business that that taken together um, can be adopted by anybody else that's in very similar sort of position to that which me and martin were in all those years ago uh, and and, uh, and by having access to this thinking and these the outcomes as a result of this applied thinking, uh, you can take all of those ideas for yourself and, and apply them to the niche that you know very well uh, and, uh, and emulate, in a sense, the success that, that, that we've met. But knowing that every niche is different and every niche is going to have a different flavor to it, uh, and you are the, uh, the, the, the king taste master, I would say, uh, in your niche, you're the ones that know what flavor Um uh, your uh, you know proposition is going to look like uh, as a result of applying these concepts, but uh, but yeah, you can you can adopt these ideas, apply them in your own niche, uh, and uh, and tweak and adjust them as you go to reflect what you're learning as you go, and with 
a very high level of confidence, I could say that, you know, you're going to be successful with it. Mm. Now, I've just got a, a WhatsApp that says, uh, thanks to you, because you've really helped um, me stay grounded through challenging times. Uh, Carrie Ann's also listened to your mentors on YouTube and can't tell you how much what a help it has been. Great stuff. Absolutely. Good. That's what it's all about. So by all means, go for it. Mm. Go for it. Okay, let's finish off today's slide. Uh, now, you talk about how susceptible your competition is to the innovator's dilemma and how can you untie the ties that bind? Mm, yeah, so we touched upon innovator's dilemma last time we spoke. This is this idea that a large organization that's been successful doing what they do in the way that they do it forever and ever and ever uh, they just simply don't have the intellectual frame of reference to be able to sort of turn the oil tanker on a dime, if you will, mm. and go off in another direction. Um, so one of the great joys about intelligent content marketing when you're trying to compete against, you know, your competitors, as it were, is is, is basically to, you know, look to see how big and how how incumbent they are and how fat and lazy they've become because they don't have to try that hard anymore. Well, you know, you can stay fat and lazy and you can enjoy your, uh, your cold daiquiris on that old tanker uh, and try and watch the thing turn on a dime, but it ain't going to turn on a dime. More often than not, they just carry on sailing along. I mean, HMD is a classic example of that, for example, mm. right? And being unable to, to respond to the, 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 change, the manifest change in market circumstances around them. Yeah, they saw so, their bottom uh, yeah. in a big way, didn't they? Indeed, and you know they 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 they, they watched they, they were what how do you how do you say it? yeah they were shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic for about five or six years yeah uh, and did absolutely nothing to respond to it and lo and behold you know they got their asses in the major sling and so much for that great brand you know mm. so yeah have a look, have a look to see what your competition are all about and see how susceptible they are to the innovators dilemma and and that might sort of mean just doing an assessment of any new talent that's come into the organization that you're aware of and what their pedigree is all about um have they produced or are they look do your, are your competition looking like they're doing something that, that's interesting that you need to be aware of um mm. and can kind of conclude for yourself that if if nothing's happening then nothing's really happening and so they are um they are going to be stuck with the innovators dilemma and they're not uh, they're not going to be able to respond to you if you move fast enough and robustly enough now Mal malcolm gladwell's books are always good for pointing out great brands that saw what was coming and then have made of cha made changes as well as some that that really didn't you know hush puppies is one that comes to mind and another one um i can't remember if it was mentioned in the book is things like Polaroid and all of those shops that people used to go and get pictures developed in. You know, you would take a roll mm -hmm. of film and go do it. And technology, the telephone, uh, being able to print at home, got rid of an entire industry. Where did they all go? Yeah. Well, great point. Point. Uh, and, and, and I've read probably most of the same sort of books that you've read in this respect. And Kodak, for example, patented yeah. the very first digital camera. So they had it, but classic innovators' dilemma. They had in their stable the future technology that was theirs to exploit. But no, they you see, they got so much invested in that sunk network of you know people that were distributing films, that were processing films, you know, the whole the whole shooting match around the world, their entire business model was was revolving around film. So mm. even though they were, you know, the, the innovators that got the technology perfected for digital cameras um they were never able to fully exploit it and you know well we all know what happened to kodak so there's a really good example of that mm. um 
And then sort of the final point that you've touched on here is how to untie the ties that bind. Now, um, what we found in our marketplace, certainly in the corporate immigration services space, um, the ties that bind are very, very long lasting. They have been in place for uh, decades, typically, and uh, very difficult to sort of overcome the, the fact of those relationships. But they are mere relationships. So if you can come up with a proposition that's commercially much more profound than than just relying on mere relationships um, and you uh, are able to sort of, you know, um, use your new proposition that allows you to have conversations with, with, with the parties in that relationship and steer the conversation in a new direction, particularly if you've got a free proposition, knowing that you can't compete against free, um, then, you know, you can uh, work to seek to untie the ties that bind. And a, a good example of this for us, for example, as you know, we have a video production company mm-hmm. as well as our immigration practice. Yep. So part of our Sherpa proposition is a is a product um, that's called um, uh, Complete. And that's a big part, it's called Entrust. And, and Entrust is basically where we have used our content platform to create relationships with companies. Uh, those decision makers in those companies have come to understand that we are a credible um, alternate way of providing an immigration service in a corporate setting that's that's either going to remove the cost completely or it's going to significantly reduce the cost and give them a, a, a kind of a, a measure of control over their immigration offering that uh, that they they presently haven't had with their uh, you know long-standing incumbent uh, providers um, but our entrusting our entrust offering gives us well, with, together with our uh, video content capability gives us the ability to to develop a, a video content proposition that will be in the uh, colors of the client that uh, is designed specifically, customized specifically for uh, that corporate client that is relying on our website that's given us all the business as a result of the Sherpa proposition having been presented to them properly. And because it's all about video and it's all about customizing, it's all about onboarding clients in a way that uh, our competitors presently can't do, we have the mechanism and the means to, as I say, untie the ties that bind. Mm. And that's another sort of approach theoretically, conceptually, that you can adopt to uh, trying to um, ruffle the feathers of your competition and, and seeking to steal you know, relationships from them as you, uh, as you roll out your own, um, your own propositions. Mm. Now, now one, one thing on your slide, and you know, anybody can go and check out intelligentcontent.marketing and see the slides that we refer to. It's the need to move X to Y in Z time safely with confidence of a satisfactory outcome. And you've got Julius Caesar to DHL. I'm curious because it didn't end so well for him. Well, okay. So this is um, this is an example where um, you know you're looking at a job to be done, mm. and if you think about it, the job to be done when Julius Caesar was alive, and Julius Caesar needed to um, get information, but we needed to move X to Y in Z time safely with a confidence of satisfactory outcome. You know, at that time, 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, whenever it was. Yeah, you know, the technology that was in play was the chariot, you know, the humble the horseback man um, that, you know, was tasked with getting this particular information or this particular package or scroll or whatever it was to some other far-flung distance in time, right? So 2,500 years ago, that was Julius Caesar's job to be done. 
Well, if you think about that, me- that mechanism today, the job to be done is still the same, right? So, mm. you know, you've, you've got a particular information or, 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 or some sort of item that you need to transfer over log- large distances in the fastest possible time with, uh, with, uh, with confidence of a satisfactory outcome. Um, basically, what you've got there is you know, the same job to be done, but done in a new and interesting way because technology has enabled that. So essentially there, when you're niching down, this is the kind of sort of thing that thinking that you need to go through and, uh, and ask yourself, well, over time, how can you ha- how has the, the job to be done changed, if at all? And if it hasn't changed, you know, how can you now with all of the um, resources of the connection economy available to you, how can you deliver that particular outcome in a new and interesting way? So, you know, jobs to be done generally don't change over time, as you can see from that particular example, but it gives you something to think about as you go through the niching down process. Mm. Recognizing one thing very well uh, about that whole phenomenon, and that is, of course, is Clay Christensen alerted me to this, and that is that, you know, if you hire a product for a job to be done and it doesn't actually do it, then it turns out to be extraordinarily expensive for you because not only have you spent the money trying to get the thing done the first time, but you've got the cost associated with it not having been done. And then you've got the cost associated with actually getting it done. Yep. So actually coming up with a, a proposition um, that's actually going to get the job done uh, is absolutely vital and, uh, and and gives you you know sort of a, a, another part of the framework to consider as you go about the niching down exercise. Fantastic. It brings us brilliantly to the end of our slot for today. And uh, are we good for Friday, good sir? I do believe, sir. I do believe. You have an absolutely fantastic week. Batten down the hatches and I hope the wind goes away. Digital Bacon FM. So I hope you've learned from my journey about niching down and implementing those lessons into your own business strategy. Next time, you'll find out all about how to compete with the big players of your market through as I've called it, the power of free.